Good evening. Welcome to Regeneration. Uh, we're going to wrap up our topical series of life together this week and then um, be praying about what, uh, what we're going to be covering, what book we're going to be covering uh, next time. Um, so I'd like to start out by asking a question. And that question is, are you happy? We have some yays. This morning, um, someone very uh, vehemently said no. So um, I think it was just a little early for them or something. Um, did you know that there's this uh, academic journal called the Journal of Happiness Studies? It's a, it's a peer-reviewed journal whose contributors are devoted to the scientific study of what produces happiness. And in researching what the difference is, between really happy people from less happy people, they found that there's one factor that consistently distinguishes the two groups. So now what I'd like you to do now is tell the person next to you what you think that one factor is. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do it. So what's the one factor that differentiates really happy people from those who are less happy? Okay, so everyone has... Their guesses, because now I'm going to tell you what the researchers found, okay? Okay, here we go. Not good health, if anyone guessed that, it's not good health. Not the amount of money you have. Not anything financial like how much you make or how much you saved or anything like that. Not anything physical like being in good shape or how attractive you are. Not how smart you are, not how successful you are. So what differentiates consistently happier people from those who are less happy is the presence of deep, joy-producing, rich, life-changing, meaningful relationships with other people. And investing meaningful time with family, friends, people who value us and care for us. And this is extremely crucial to our well-being. And there's this book entitled Bowling Alone. It's by Robert Putnam, who analyzed social well-being. And he writes in that book, the single most common finding from a half century's research on life satisfaction, not only from the U.S., but around the world, is that happiness is best predicted by the breadth and depth of one's social connections. Happiness is tied to connectedness and meaningful relationships. And God made us this way. You go back to Genesis when God created us and, and said it is not good for man to be alone. Part of being created in God's image is that we have the capacity for connectedness. Let me define connectedness so that we're all on the same page. Connectedness isn't the same thing as knowing a lot of people or having a lot of friends on Facebook. And people get confused about connectedness because they have a lot of e-friends. And they have a lot of conversations and perhaps they have a lot of contacts and interactions, but that doesn't mean they have a lot of friends. They may have a lot of correspondence and course uh, conversations, but it's not connected connectedness if they don't make real connections. I'm going to give you an illustration of connectedness from the book of Ephesians, where Paul writes about how the Ephesians can be connected to the father and to God's children, our brothers and sisters, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, you being rooted and established in love. 
Like a tree when its roots go down into the ground, if the tree is unable to establish roots, it dies. But if they get rooted, then the roots are able to absorb water, they're able to absorb nutrients, and this allows the tree to thrive. But that's only if it's rooted. And in like manner, Paul is saying our souls are being rooted in love with God and with other people when we connect with people. For example, when you're out walking out, out and about and you bump into someone you know and they look you in, in the eye and they give you a smile and you know that they care about you, whether it's through their touch or words or praying together, or listening to you, when you've gone through times of risk or vulnerability and still have acceptance through, through what you've shared. Whenever there's an exchange of authentic caring for one another, it's as if the roots of your soul are getting filled with the nutrients that will make you strong that's connectedness. I'll tell you how central it is. There, there was this English pediatrician, psychiatrist, and researcher by the name of Dr. Donald Winnicott, and he made a, a really fascinating discovery. He found that children who play near their mother are more creative while they play compared to children who play far from their mother. And Dr. Winnicott found that children are naturally curious, they're naturally inventive, naturally take chances when they're in close proximity of those in their circle of connectedness. When they're in their circles, children take more risks, they're more resilient, they showed more energy. And he found that if the kids fell down, they were more likely to get up. He also found that kids within their circles of connectedness laughed more than those who were outside of their circles and isolated. Why is that? Mom isn't doing anything here. She's not coaching the kid or telling the kid what to do or what not to do. The concept is that when a child feels safe and cared for, when mom's love is present, there is something inside that child that is freed. The child gets stronger, gets bolder, more creative. Love is freeing. It releases life in children that would otherwise stay dormant, stagnant, inactive in a child. And when we are loved as children, it's not just that we're getting more of mom and dad, but we, come, we become more of who we are, who we were made to be. We find more life within us. And that's what connectedness can do for us. And as children mature, they are more capable of abstract thinking. As their development continues, their circle gets larger. As a one-year-old, they're, they're close to very few people, maybe mom and dad and, and the grandparents, and the circle's really small. Then they turn two, they're able to walk farther, and their circle grows. Then they're three, and they can go even further. And then they become teenagers, and they're way out there, like another galaxy. But if the circle of connectedness is such that even though the lines of that circle are really far out, they still know that they're loved, they're cared for, safe, known, and they know that things will be okay. And at first, a baby, for a baby, everything's physical. Right. It's a physical connection. But as we, we get older, we're able to carry the connectedness beyond touch. We're able to take the connectedness with us wherever we go. And, and that's what connect, connectedness does for us. It gives us freedom without compromising our strength of our joy. And God made us for that. And God made us to be connected with him. Paul writes about it when he writes, what can separate us from the love of God wherever we go? Nothing. Right. God also made us to be connected with people. We need to be connected with people and we can't thrive without others. It doesn't matter how well other areas of your life are going. When we're not connected, we suffer in other ways. People who isolate themselves and disconnect from people put themselves in emotional risk. They're more susceptible to anxiety, depression, 
eating and sleeping disorders, loneliness, sexual addictions, low self-esteem, substance abuse, because it's not good to be alone. It's not good to be disconnected. And there are also physical risks. There are health risks associated with being alone. Have you guys heard of the widowhood effect? So the widowhood effect, in, in the first month of bereavement, the risk of death increases 62% for women when their husband dies. First month. And increases 52% for men when their wife dies. And it was found that those who survived the longer times from the widowhood effect were attributed to living with their relatives. They were more active in religious organizations and having stronger and more extensive social networks. And people who are socially disconnected are, are between two and five times more likely to die from all causes than those who have close ties to family and friends and relationships. It was found that people who have had bad health habits and, and have, have bad symptoms like high blood pressure or they smoked, the, they lacked exercise, they overate, people with bad health habits but who were connected lived longer than people who have great health habits but are disconnected. They're isolated. And that's the power of connections. So let's take Winston Churchill for an example. Churchill was a deeply connected person. He had a wonderful marriage. He, he was strongly connected to his family, his friends, his nation, his work. But his health habits were horrible. His diet was horrific. He smoked cigars all the time. He drank way too much. He had really strange sleeping habits. He was completely sedentary, but he lived to be over 90 years old. Someone asked him, Winston Churchill, do you ever exercise? And he responded, the only exercise I get is serving as a pallbearer for my friends who died while they were exercising. <laughs> That's the power of connection. Right? John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, He who does not love abides in death. John doesn't write that anyone who hates abides in death. He wrote that the absence of love is deadly. Not just physically, but also spiritually. When I live in isolation, I put myself at risk spiritually also. I'm more susceptible to discouragement, temptation, deception, selfishness, lies. You might not even realize you're isolated because nobody knows you well enough to actually let you know that you're isolated. Not only do you suffer when you live in disconnectedness, but other people who God placed around you suffer because they get cheated out of the love that God intended for you to give to them. In Proverbs 18, verse 1 reads, He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. This is about loners. And, and quite likely it's referring to people who are unfriendly, disconnected, isolated. Our, and our society encourages this type of lifestyle if you have already been wired this way. We have so many things that distract us that people can be neglected. We have computers and video games and music and television and movies. All sorts of stuff that require us not to interact with people. And that's what God intended was us for us to interact with people. He did not intend for us to live in isolation. God intended for us to be connected, so he created a way for all of us to be connected by the creation of the family. It's an innate thing. The family is powerful. 
And that's why it can be so hurtful to us when things go wrong with families. And that's also why the benefits of family are so great when things go right with family. And that's partly why the psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 133, verse 1, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's a blessing from God. And then verse 2 of that psalm, it is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edges of his robe. And this is in reference to Aaron the priest being anointed with oil and how that was a reminder that God made a covenant with his people. They were connected to God and to each other. And then in verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded blessing, life forever. And this is in reference to the dew from, from far off Mount Hermon that comes down the mountains of Zion when uh, Jerusalem is just dry and parched and needs this moisture. And that, that's a blessing from God. That's life. That's connection. This is what happens when brothers dwell in unity. Brotherhood was created by God. God blessed Adam and even and Adam and Eve and, and with, with two boys, right? With Cain and Abel. Do you remember how these two brothers treated each other? So well. So very well. Right? The, the family connection is, is really rich. It's, it's deep, longing, but, but can also be the most challenging of relationships. Have you, have you guys seen that YouTube video, that um, Charlie Bitney video? Charlie bit me. And it's about these two little brothers, a one-year-old and a three-year-old. I was actually going to use my daughters as an example to this because my younger one bit my other daughter in the back. Um, but I didn't want to equate them to Cain and Abel. So we're just going to use Charlie. And we're going to equate them to Cain and Abel because mine are angels. So it's, it's this short video. You can just put it on YouTube, Charlie bit me, and you'll see it if you haven't seen it. But it shows the joy and pain of Cain and Abel. It's right there. Their faces tell the whole story of the human condition from beginning to end, right? The older brother trusts Charlie, makes himself vulnerable to Charlie by sticking his finger into the little circle of connectedness. And Charlie clamps down. He bites them, right? And you see all the emotions on the boy's face. It's like, ha ha ha, funny, happy, happy. Oh, pain. And like, okay, are you done yet? Hope, right? And, and then anger. He's like, ah! And then after he lets go, joy. And, and it's all there. All the emotions are there. And we, we long for how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. But oftentimes brothers don't. Charlie bit his brother. Sienna bit her sister. Rejection happens and hurt happens. And the older brother tells Charlie that he hurt him. Like, Charlie, that hurt. And, and the hurt causes withdrawal, withdrawal. And this is the human story. We, we attack or we withdraw. And both are from a lack of love. And it's good for brothers to dwell in unity, but we often don't. But because we don't dwell in unity, it doesn't change the fact that we can't live without connection. Because we fouled things up with the fall, God decides to start up another new family. And this family is going to be for the broken, the dysfunctional, sinful people, all because Charlie chose to bite. And this new family unit will include Charlie and his brother. And this new family will be offered by God through Jesus, and it's called the church. And this is how it works. If anyone comes to Jesus, acknowledges the truth about your sin, that you bite that you're a sinner and ask God to forgive you of those sins because God, Jesus died on the cross for you. 
And if you repent of your sins and ask him to empower you to become a new creation, you'll be made new and accepted as part of his family. And it's a large family with a large circle of connectedness that you can be a part of. And you can actually make it larger and offer others to join in. And it can be made available to anyone. And there's something we have to do. We have to learn how to relate to each other in a new way because the old ways don't work. We need Jesus to help us with our circle of connectedness. And in the New Testament, there's this phrase that keeps popping up. And that phrase is one another. And that phrase one another is about the new circle of connect- connectedness. And you look at John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And this is the new circle of connect- connectedness. And there are several ways that this connectedness is manifested. So it's washing one another's feet, preferring one another, welcoming one another, honoring one another, ridding of envy for one another, building one another up. And these one another phrases can be used for one another and they can be used for the rest of the world. You can take one another anywhere and invite people into the circle. So we're going to end our Life Together series with this message. That we need to be part of one another's lives. We need that. And let me give you a preview on what one another means, starting with Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Acceptance. Acceptance is powerful. This is how we live together. We accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. Now, how did Jesus accept you? Did he make you clean up your life first? Did, did he make you read the Bible more? Did he make you dress differently? Did he make you trim down all the bad habits that you have before he accepted you into, your, into his family? He didn't. He didn't do that. And he will help you change because he wants what's best for you, but you don't have to pretend to be something that you're not. You don't have to pretend to be smarter or better or stronger than you are in in Jesus' circle. You don't have to do that. How are you accepted into Jesus' circle? Just the way you are. The way that you are. And there's a hymn called Just As I Am, and I'm not going to sing it, but it says, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. We come the way we are, just the way we are. It's so powerful when when someone knows all the embarrassing stuff, all the shameful stuff, all the humiliating truth about me, yet they still accept me. That's powerful. It's so meaningful for us. It's also true for superficial things. When I, when I was a kid, I, I, I used to like getting my ears cleaned out. And I told you that this concept is true for superficial things, so here's the superficial thing. So my mom has, has this scoop thing, right, for your ear. You're laughing because you're Asian. You probably did it yourself. So, and See? Yeah, that's right. Clean the ears. So, so she would use this little scoop thing and clean my earwax out, right? And so I'd grab a pillow and with my little Star Wars pillowcase, and, um, I'd grab, and I'd grab the little metal wax scooper, and I'd ask her to clean my ears. Mom, can you clean out my ears? And yeah, sure. So then I'd lie on her lap, hugging the pillow, and then she'd just go at it, right? Cleaning the ear canals of wax. But it was something that was kind of personal at first. 
I didn't want anyone to know about my wax except me and my mom. That's between me and my mom. And it was, it was a very vulnerable time lying there on my mom's lap, hugging a pillow because it's really sensitive in there and, and waiting for her to dig the stuff out of my ears. And it was just something personal and I didn't want to get embarrassed by the rest of my family about the wax I produced, which wasn't really much anyway. And even though she usually didn't pull out much, sometimes she'd get a good-sized piece of wax. And she'd be like, wow, look at this one. And then we'd both have these looks of satisfaction on our faces. Hers because she was able to get this big piece of wax out of my ear, and me because I could, I felt better. I'm like, oh yeah, look, I, I, I can move my head better. And, and so one time my sister walked by and saw what came out of my ear, and she was impressed. She was like, whoa. And she wanted to get her ears cleaned out by my mom. That's how acceptance works. Right? You think about what is embarrassing to you, what is shameful to you, but it ends up not being that bad or not that big of a deal because everyone has stuff to get cleaned out. Everyone has wax in their ears, so what's the use of pretending that you don't? Right? Everyone has sin issues in their life, uh, so what's the use of pretending that you don't? There's stuff that God wants to clean out of you. And so when you see that, when you see, oh, God cleaned that guy's sin out of his life, I want that too. Clean me out. Right? I'll just grab my pillow and come over and be vulnerable with God and have him clean you out. Everyone has wax in their ears. So why are we pretending? Why do we pretend that we're all holy or that we're all good and everything? Right? Now, now there's a point to all this wax talk. It's not just to gross you out, although part of it was to gross you out. We all know this word sincere. Right? And there's, there's talk about how this word sincere was derived. And one of the possibilities goes back, goes back to the Roman times. And during that time, Greek sculptures, they were, they were highly valued. And some of these sculptures were, were hundreds of years old uh, back then, like before these guys even saw it, right? So even though they were really old, they were really valued. And these sculptures were made of marble. And over time, they'd get damaged, right? So the nose would break off or a big toe or a little pinky toe or whatever. So what people used to do to repair them was that they'd put wax. And they'd create wax. And, and, and if they had cracks, they'd cover it with the wax. Or if they had some dings or some repairs, they'd use wax to fix it. And at first, it looked like new. You couldn't tell the difference. But as time passed by, the wax would turn yellow. And it would become easy to see that the sculpture was damaged. And you could see that the piece was not original. So the way the vendors would mark a sculpture that was all marble without any wax is that they would mark it sin. Like the Spanish word, right? Sin, without. So this was a way to tell the buyer that this is the real deal. Right? There, there's nothing besides marble. All marble. Now, if there was wax on the sculpture to cover up some damage, the vendor would mark the sculpture with sear which is the Latin word for wax. So we get the word sincere, without wax. It, you think it's funny? It's true. So it's a cool derivative of the word, right? Uh, you look at Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 is, is, is the church we all want to be in and what the church is all about. Acts chapter 2 verse 46 tells us they broke bread together in each other's homes with gladness and sincere hearts. And this was only possible because Jesus made it possible to come as you are to his table. Their hearts were glad, sincere, without wax, just as it was. Right? That's the type of community that we get the opportunity to have. 
No more being fake. No more pretending. No, no more covering up that we're messed up. We know that. James tells us in James chapter 5, verse 16, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. No one enters Jesus' family because they are pretty, successful, smart, or strong. Some people are those things, but that's not why they're accepted into the community. Those are values in the world, and it's really important in the world, but not so in Jesus' community. And something to keep in mind, which you already know, is that we are all sinners. We're sinners who are seeking forgiveness, who are recovering. And we're all sinners because that's the way fallen people can be in the circle of connectedness. Because if we're just here as sinners, recovering fallen sinners, then who's going to pass judgment on someone else? We're all in the same boat. Who's going to say, no, I don't think I can let you in. You're a sinner. Yeah, but you are too. Right? And we meet together as forgiven, recovering sinners. One of the most important moments of my spiritual life was when I sat down with a friend I trusted and said, no more secrets. None. Right? And I, and I just vomited out all my stuff. And I, 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 I told you about my roommate, Ben, back in college regarding this. And I told him all the stuff I was ashamed of, sincerely, no wax. And then I felt so vulnerable because I was afraid that I was going to be outside of the circle. That I was going to lose connection with him. But when we talked and he looked in my eyes, I knew that I wasn't alone anymore. I knew that there was acceptance there. It was powerful for me, powerful for me to experience that. James makes a very interesting connection between confessing and praying and healing. Sin isolates us. And sin and isolation will make you sick in your soul and even your body. And confession and then prayer and then prayer is of utmost importance. So let's be a church of prayer. Continuously praying for one another. And that's how we develop connectedness. And starting this Wednesday, we're going to have a morning prayer time at 6.45 a.m. every Wednesday. For those of you who are interested in starting your day with us in prayer, before your work or before you do whatever, and um, this is my announcement to the staff and the interns that we're doing this on Wednesday. Um, so let us know if it's not early enough. Because you guys have longer commute times or, or you have earlier start times at work. Um, because I'm, I'm awake like before 6 because my kids get me up. So it's no big deal to me. And we also have evening prayers Wednesday nights. We've been doing that for years. And that's at 7.30. And the power of prayer. It's amazing. Some of you know that Yuna Lee used to come to church here. And she was one of the journalists that were captured in North Korea. We've been praying for her. A long time. And she was set free this past week. And it wasn't just like us. Oh yeah, Regen, we prayed her out. It, it was a lot of churches. You know, a lot of people were involved with this. And, um, and that's the power of prayer. It's so awesome. She's reunited with her four, four-year-old daughter after five months of captivity. And here's a second one another statement. It's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. And Paul writes, For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Jesus came down to earth and he says, Watch me. Watch how I live. Watch my life. And listen to my words because the kingdom is coming. What's up there is coming down here. And service is so important because the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
God's kingdom is different from the kingdom of the world. The world is all about being in the spotlight, about status, about climbing success ladders, about being served. The kingdom of God is not about that stuff. Jesus didn't come for any of that stuff. He came not to pursue this life, but to serve lives. Because that's what it's like in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's an eternity of servanthood and mutual submission and joy and delight. Jesus invites us to be part of his kingdom if we want it. But it's all about serving. And if you don't want to serve, then you really don't want that kingdom. Mother Teresa shared a story about a man who was in the untouchable caste. And he lived on the streets of Calcutta eating garbage when he could find it. And he was dressed in rags and he was dying on the streets. Mother Teresa finds him, brings him to the shelter, bathes him, dresses his wounds, feeds him, gives him a cot to lie down on. And the, and the man replies with these words. All my life, I have lived like an animal. Now I can die like a human being. Because to serve someone is to treat them like a loved human being, not an object, not an animal, not a project. And when we serve, it's not about walking over people to advance on a selfish level. It's about giving people a place to attend to their needs. And we have the opportunity to make our church that place. This is connecting. When connection happens, it's, it's like something being poured from one soul into another soul. And it has the power to heal wounds. And in, in this story, this person knows the joy of receiving healing. And this person knows the joy of being used for healing. And it is life giving to both of them, Mother Teresa and this guy. And that's connection. And no one can live without that connection. You take a look at Acts chapter 2 again. One of the first marks of the early church was their commitment to connectedness because they knew connectedness didn't just happen. In Acts chapter 2, it says that they met together every day. They met in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It was a daily thing. So this is not just about going to church. And crossing off that once a week activity. This is about community. This is about connectedness. It's a daily deal. And, and over time, that, that value, even back then it began to fade. All values tend to do that. And unfortunately, here's a, here's a third one another phrase I want to share. And it's found in Hebrews. The author of Hebrews writes in chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Keep at it. Be persistent. Keep going. Keep encouraging one another to love and good deeds. And communities require a don't give up spirit because it isn't easy. And God will help us, but it's still not easy. If, if you're not plugged into a community within our church, Find someone who can help you get connected, someone who handed out bulletins, someone you, you saw up here either giving announcements or, or reading the Bible or, or praying or playing worship music, someone serving in the cafe. If you're not connected, get in touch with someone you saw doing these things and they can help you with that. I want to share with you another quote by, a quote by Robert Putnam. He writes, as a rule of thumb, if you belong to no groups, but you decide to join one. You cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. That's unbelievable. Is anyone here interested in cutting your risk of dying in half? 
Right? So you join a, a community group where you can connect with others. Look for ways to connect with people here at Regen. And if you're already part of a, a little community, then ask God what he has in store for you and your group for the rest of the year. Invite someone into your group. People need our love. They need it. There are people in our community who need someone to step up and start new groups in order to help them connect. And people need our church to step up. There are a lot of different needs out there, and it's time to enter more deeply into each other's lives and and invest it into our spiritual growth. And if you're already invested into a group, I thank you. Thank you for helping this church be a church like that. You're doing a good job. Keep it up. And our community needs you to continue investing and connecting with people. And don't give up. Even your group used to be like a big group and now it's a small group and you're just discouraged. Don't give up. Just hold on. Keep going. And the longer you consistently invest into people, the deeper the connections will go. Just don't give up. And just a last, last tidbit before we end. Remember to encourage one another, especially when the chips are down. It's so easy to cheer for, for things when, when things are going well and you have all the momentum. But cheering needs to happen when things aren't going so smoothly. I find this interesting in sporting events. So, like Raider fans, I know that you have very little to cheer about. Um, but that's when they need you. Right? That's when they need you is when they're down and out. So don't let that doubt creep into your family or your circles, your marriages, uh, your other relationships. You can do something about it. You can encourage people in need. And life is happening whether you like it or not. And and life has an eternal destiny to it. Life is really good at beating people down. And we all need people to cheer us on. Right? Especially when stuff is bad. We all need encouragement. We all need people to lean on. We all need to hear that we matter. That we are valuable. So, So keep going. Keep trusting in God. Don't give up loving one another. That's connectedness. That's the circle of life. We all get to go in there just as we are. Everyone has a place in the circle of our church and you get to facilitate that for our community. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have invited us into your circle. Thank you for the gift of your church. And we want your power to be released in our lives and into the church and into the communities that we're in. So I ask you, Lord, to speak right now to everyone here. And there are faces and names that that are in our minds. Some that bring us joy and some that are really hard to accept right now because we've been hurt by them. God, would you make us facilitators of, of love, of community? Keep us connected to you so that we successfully live life together and just transform our hearts, transform our minds so that it just naturally flows out of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.